Being disabled or having a chronic illness can feel like you're moving forward in reverse. I'm your host, Scott Martin. Join me and my new friends from this underrepresented community as we talk about disrupting the status quo and creating change within the world and within ourselves. Hey, life's a road trip. Hop in. Let's turn on some tunes and go. With me in the passenger seat and managing the radio for this road trip is John Griffin. John is the founding publisher at accessibility.com, which focuses on providing information and resources that inform businesses how to empower disabilities towards becoming more accessible. It's through my my preparation for a recent guest on Life's a Road Trip that I first encountered him. As I dug into John's background, I found that researching him was like piecing together a puzzle, a corner piece, a few borders, multiple inner pieces. And then it dawned on me to go back through my notes and use the list of values I found on accessibility.com's website. And those are uh, equality. All individuals without bias and discrimination deserve their full human rights. Integrity. Ethical principles should guide, not hinder, in internal action and external claims. Service. Information, action, and commitment to a worthwhile cause, creating positive change. And growth. Progress is a collective effort, building on success and learning from missteps. That caught me. Hi, John. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing fine, Scott. Thanks for the nice introduction. You bet. I was intrigued by that. Sometimes when I research a person, it comes down to simplicity and I don't have to dig as deep as I thought I had to. Now, I recently came across an interview on you that gave, uh, and in it you stated, at your background, you had a fruitful and fun life in publishing. Touch on that. How, how uh, fruitful and fun was your publishing experience? Well, it was. Uh, it, it began sort of uh, almost by accident. Um, I was. Uh, I originally started my my business career. Uh, prior to publishing with IBM and uh, did several different things. And uh, one of them was a, was a challenge to me to uh, try my hand at, at retailing. And uh, that uh, didn't turn out to be so fruitful. Uh, and yeah, at the time I was, uh, married and we had, uh, three or four children. I forget what year it was, but, uh, somebody introduced me to Fairchild Publishing, uh, where there was a need and I met a very exceptional man, uh, who became my mentor and gift giver in so many different ways, uh, and it was time for me to grow up, uh, and stop being adventurous. And he, um, he guided me into a love for uh, technology, uh, audience targeting, uh, service, integrity, uh, a lot of the things that uh, I kind of had under my belt, but didn't understand how to use them. And um, he passed away recently in his nineties, mm-hmm. and uh, it was great loss to me. His name was Zachary Dicker, and he was uh, a man I will always thank. That's interesting how certain people at times in your life, when you don't expect it, come across and, and put a finger on you to make something happen. Yeah, and and that continued. Um, I, I worked at Fairchild for several years, and I got my basic education there, and uh, I learned principles about uh, communication. One of them was was that uh, uh, how to present uh, information, uh, and I came to realize that uh, in in whether it was print or online, that all of us. Uh, kind of gather our information uh, in, in complete stories. 
And to complete the story, there needs to be uh, what we defined as uh, five different elements. Uh, news, analysis, perspective, opinion, and prediction. Uh, the story is not complete until all of those five components somehow work into, uh, into what you're delivering. And, um, and, and we become kind of unaware that hmm. the New York Times and Forbes and the Wall Street Journal actually do those things. You know, they, they're there to be found. They're there as part of the service. And uh, it, it's what makes the story compelling. Otherwise, it's a baseball score, four to three. Yeah. Four to three what? You know, <laughs> well, okay. The news is it's four to three. Um, who played? <laughs> so, you, you know, you, be, you begin to pull it apart a little bit and it becomes very obvious that uh, there's a methodology to bring complete stories forward. The way it should be. Now, also in researching you, <clears throat> I came across a book titled, This Will Be the Day That I Die. And the summary reads, on Christmas Day, December 25, 2012, four scientists working at the Cold Springs Harbor Labs on Long Island announced a discovery that would change the course of humanity and pit science against the theological beliefs that have existed since time began. The team of genetic scientists have located and defined a human gene that can accurately identify the length of a human life from its first day to when to the last day it will come about. Now, I read that and sat back in my chair and immediately the Twilight Zone, you know, the, the black and white TV show from the early 60s came across. And also, because I like listening to uh, radio classics on Sirius XM, X minus one was a, was a uh, radio show back in the 1950s came to mind. So what, what spurred you on to come? I just love the context of that. Well, here's the truth. Uh, my mother always used to say that she believed that the day you're born somewhere in the universe, uh, our higher power, whatever you perceive that to be, writes your name in a book and puts a date on it. And that's the day you're going to go back. Um, hmm. So I never really made much sense out of that. Uh, but I live near the Cold Spring Harbor Labs and I stopped at a light one time uh, and I knew that they, you know, they're, they're a, a world renowned group of scientists uh, working towards uh, advanced scientific solutions that will affect Alzheimer's and so on and so forth. But they do a great deal of work in studying genetics. And in that, at the time that I got this thought for a book, um, there was a lot of stem research, stem cell research going on, and uh, they were creating, you know, calves and sheep and so forth out of stem cell research and growing them in labs. And, and I wondered about, you know, how much more is there to genealogy that um, is possible? Uh, and that began to open my mind up. I mean, if you can create life, uh, if life exists within our genetics, which it does, does death also? And is, is that predictable by reading the tea leaves of the genetic structures? Well, we don't know yet, but maybe we will someday. Hmm. Um, so the idea came up uh, in my head. And I was actually flying back from London and, um, you know, how sometimes you have a song in your head and you can't get mm. rid of it. Well, oh yeah. Uh, so I had, this will be the day that I die. And all of a sudden it, it just occurred to me, okay, that could be a title for the book that maybe I could write. And what would it be all about? Uh, so while it's, uh, it, it's started, it, it's spoken about as a, you know, a discovery of the genetics that can predict that by accident, uh, by, the, by the 
fictional scientists that I created. Uh, the fact is that it just may be out there at some point in time. And I've discussed this with various different medical persons. And they say it's certainly within the realm of possibility that that might be discovered that within our genetic pools, there are certain uh, markings that could someday be what cancels us. Um, okay. Now, would that be, you know, uh, you can take that anywhere. Uh, you know, the obvious ones are easy, you know, disease, uh, cardiac things, cellular diseases, what have you. But, but the fact is that um, it's possible. So apply that to sudden understanding for different human beings. So the book really revolves around five persons who um, volunteer to have their, their genetic structures studied. And they have to do so anonymously. They've paid a, a fee. And the five persons have absolutely nothing in common with each other. Uh, one is a centimillionaire with a little bit of a suspicious background in his life, how he became so wealthy. Uh, and he's a very trustworthy citizen of the world. Uh, there's a uh, there's a, a priest who was uh, wounded heavily in uh, in combat as he was serving with the Marines in in one of the Gulf Wars, and it's left him very withdrawn and and bitter. Uh, the other the third person uh, is kind of a ordinary typical housewife with two kids and a husband and uh, and if the fourth and fifth people, uh, you know, remain part of just typical people. And then suddenly in the analysis that gets reported back, they are identified as uh, all with a date and it's all Christmas Day, <laughs> exactly one year from today, uh, from, from a Christmas Day day. So the scientists get together on an emergency call and say, we've got to study this anomaly, which means we have to reveal to these people that they're marked for one year from now. What, what's the common link? What's the, what's the reason why they're all linked together at the same time? Are they going to be in a train station on the same day on Christmas day and maybe an explosion or, or you know, terrorist attack? Is there anything we can do to prevent them? from this fate. And so it's about the revealing to these people that we have irrefutable information that you're going to die one year from today. And we'd wow. like to help you avoid that. So what do people do when they get this sentence? And, it, and, and the scientists, they're kind of a subplot because they're you know, they're human beings too. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. they, they want to attend to this issue. Um, and so it becomes a, you know, a, a storybook of each person and how they react and what they do. And, um, and what would you do? You know, you think about it yourself. Or, you know, if somebody said, you got, you got 365 days to go, what would you do? Yeah. Where would you go? Who would you talk to? What would you share? Wow definitely something for twilight zone and x minus one <laughs> just so just so listeners know that there definitely will be a link to john's book on the life's a road trip website got to be able to to get into that now i want to do a little different show um, a much different show than i usually do and what i'm going to do is i've gone through uh, a bunch of your episodes for which you're the host of uh, accessibility matters interview series and I want us to be here like we're sitting across the table and, and just BS and all throughout some of these topics that came up or say we're at a pub. I mean, this might be a, a, a two pinter for us, you know, John. So I want to start by uh, first looking at episode one, which is with Meg O'Connell and Meg was the person that I was studying to come on to my show and came across your interview with her. So it's, serendipity how we cross paths 
through an interview, and I, I was very intrigued by your interview with Meg. And in it, I'll throw this out. You state disability isn't about pity, it's about paychecks. Whoa, that just caught me. And it's so true as as I'm getting into doing the show and, and learning more about the disability community. So let's talk about that. I mean, a lot of the listeners will probably know exactly what you're talking about, but let's let's throw it out. And then from your perspective, what does that mean? Well, it's not about pity. Disability is about paychecks. Well, you know, people people have a for the most part, people have a a very broad band of empathy that resides within all of us. Uh, you know, we're all fundamentally good, and and we're all fundamentally empathetic towards uh, other people's trials, tribulations, whatever we perceive them to be, and and. Um, one thing that I that I learned actually I learned this came to me from Meg O'Connell. Uh, she said most people think about consider disabilities, uh, per, disabled people, as the worst case they've ever observed. Uh, somebody you know really in in very strenuous uh, format of uh, of disability, whatever that might be. Uh, you know they're in a wheelchair. They're, deformed, uh, can't, they're not audible, uh, you know, so, okay. you know, and, and that's sometimes the only introduction that, that human beings have to other human beings. And it leaves them uh, somewhat uh, with an, an opinion form that, um, well, you have to pity those people. Well, most disabled people are extremely adaptable to their environments where they can be, do have the cognitive and physical resources to be able to adapt to what has been dealt to them, whatever their disability is. And uh, they want more than anything to become normal, quote unquote, like you and I. Yeah. So their goal our, you know, our goal is to go through life and do fun things and do the kinds of things that, you know, you and I are doing today. Uh, but for disabled persons, uh, their uh, prides uh, can sometimes become, we want to be, we want to be like you. We want to have a job. We want to get a, you know, we want to be able to get on the bus and, and pay the fare ourselves. Uh, so. So when we formed accessibility.com, it wasn't about what was out there. It was about what was, what was missing. Hmm. Uh, and what's missing is, you know, we, you know we're, we're coming up on the anniversary of the American Disabilities Act in, in a short time, uh, in, in July. It's been there for a long time, but it hasn't been enforced for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you have a population on the globe of, of one in every four persons. That's a billion three. If they were taken as a nation, they'd be the third, third largest country on the, on the planet. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. So how is it that 97% of the known websites, a billion six, are not accessible, fully accessible to one of the largest demographic groups in, in the world? Why? Because mm. people don't care? No, because they don't understand. They don't, in our, in our rushed-lived lives business has adjoined itself to the internet and every business is a business now yeah uh regardless of what it is i mean if you're a shoemaker in a local town you probably have a website uh so uh it, it, it it's it's pervasive across all forms of economic 
uh, endeavor. And it, it's, you know, the, the need to educate business uh, is, is the only way that this, it's the only route forward for the disabled um, and it's really going to it's really going to turn around on 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 the understanding of how to work with take training and certification you you've, you've learned how to get on the internet now you have to learn how to reach all persons with the internet not just guys like you and i you got to reach all persons well I, that brings to mind just yesterday so I'll, I'll go back a little bit i used to teach social studies and uh, history. And then I left to coach college soccer. And that's when I became ill with group A strep and I ended up losing both hands and parts of both feet. Came back and I still coached and everything, but I left when I uh, started adopting up my five kids. And I've come full circle. I'm back to coaching and doing real well. And, and, but there's a teaching position that opened up at the high school in our town where I substitute teach all the time. And I went in to apply and I can't. Because in order to renew my license, the Wisconsin Department of Public Education has a process of doing fingerprints in order to do a background check. Well, they can't do my fingerprints, so they've been sitting on their hands, so to speak, for over a week trying to figure out how the heck to do this when all you have to do is have me come down and look at me (laughs) and then research me, but I can't apply for this position that came up. So I wrote to the building principal and I know him quite well and I know he respects me. I'm still waiting for a reply from him. Let, you know, let's find a simple get around and no response. I would, I, I trust the guy and I believe he's probably trying to find a get around for me, but I wrote to him and saying for the first time in a long time, I, I really feel disabled because society is not allowing me to do something that should be easy. Let me apply for a freaking job. Get me come in for an interview as well. But it's it's falling down and it's not helping me in my situation. So this is the first time I've really come across feeling disabled because I can't do something. So yeah. Anyway, it, it, it's it's a reality of our of our you know our uh, systemic. I want to I want to blame capitalism, but but it's not capitalism because it, it's a global issue. Uh, even where you know we're in, in occupied nations uh, uh, under totalitarian governments and so forth, it, it's it's there. It's almost it, it almost feels at times like hey we're up we pulled up the ladder you know everything's fine now. Yeah. Um, well, it's not. You know. Uh, and, and, and in business today, uh, you, you, can't, you can't find a person that runs a business, especially a corporate business, uh, with shareholders and responsibilities that they have to report on their, you know, their economic status with. Uh, you can't find a business where they would consider uh, an Internet site, a website for themselves without securing their data so there has to be you know security measures and storage measures and certain you know there are certain component pieces that have to be contained in the software in order to secure the business well along the lines now that you have uh, you know tremendous everybody's talking about you know dei diversity uh, equity and inclusion here's a here's a tip guys yeah Diversity, equity, inclusion, all stops in its tracks if it's not accessible. What's your intent is there. Okay. But the practice also has to include accessibility. If you, why do we have racial division hundreds of years after the civil war? Because of accessibility. Okay. You won. We freed the slaves. Now, that's it. We have mm. no other obligation. Well, it's, we, we only, in the last couple of years, passed a law outlawing lynching. A hundred yeah. years to pass a law <laughs> outlawing lynching. One of the more sophisticated <laughs> nations on the planet. We have gone to wars across the world and won them and rebuilt those economies and so on and so forth. But it took us a hundred years to pass a law 
uh, to, to outlaw lynching. So don't tell me that inclusion is on the front lobes of everybody's minds. It's not. Yeah. Hasn't yeah. been, and it won't be until it becomes something that is teachable, practiced, um, and that, and that's where that's where we that's where we see ourselves. Uh, I, in my publishing career, at one point, uh, was fortunate enough to be the publisher of Byte Magazine, which was all aimed at developers, those developers who at that time were, you know, leading uh, our, our world into uh, the information age. Uh, and in there, what I observed and learned, and I'm, I'm, I'm no technocrat, not at all. Mm. Um, but I did learn that, that software and technology is a, a, is a trinity of three activities. Uh, it starts from a, from, from the same thing a movie starts from. It starts from a storyboard. It starts from what do we, what do we want to accomplish? What do we need the software to do? Okay, so you begin to dot design it and you lay it out and you build in the elements that you want that to perform. From there, you have to develop that. Uh, and then from the development, you go to deployment and hopefully you have something that's a product. Those three components, that trinity of activity puts together solutions that become software. Um, and it, that's a very simple and short-term situation, you know, description of it, but that's kind of how the function works. Why can't it be made accessible from the start? Make the project accessible. If it's designed to be inclusive, make sure that it's accessible to every person that would need it. So it sounds like that goes back as simple as education. Yes, yes. Okay. It, 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 and 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 it, and in the world of able and disabled, education not only I learned this from Judy Human, God rest her soul. Uh, the world of education has to open up. It's not just the university level. It's not just the you know uh, along the way. Nine-year-old children who live in the in a home with disabled grandparents need to understand what disability is. They need yeah. training. They need to understand. They need to. So start, start at the beginning. You know, I mean, as, 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 as madness, as mad as it may sound, start at, start at the first grade level, start at the, at the community, because these kids are, they're exposed to disabled persons. Mommy, why does that man have a dog and a stick in front of him? Oh, <laughs> you know, so uh, it, it, it's not a simple, it's not a simple, it's a, it's a, it's a social issue. Uh, it's an economic issue. It's a governmental issue. It, it is something that um, I believe, we believe that will be resolved in our time. Uh, because when I mentioned before, what that uncovered demographic is they also represent eight trillion dollars of yes. the world economy yes so I, I, it makes no sense for it to to not somehow get canceled out and become a reality i'm going to make a promise here and I'll, I'll do it right on the show if i get an interview for this position i'm going to make it known to them that they need to start hiring uh, a disabled person such as myself and all these kids yeah. know me and they've learned about disability through me. And I spoke with my wife this morning. I said, you know what? Cause I substitute all across this large high school. There's not a single disabled, you know, openly disabled person teaching or instructing or is in the office or anything. So again, I'm going to promise that if I get an interview, I'm going to steer the conversation to bringing this up, that it has to happen. And Doggone it, start with me. So we'll see yeah, how this goes. The squeaky wheel gets the oil. I mean, it, yeah. just, it is what it is. You know, I mean, they, they don't, they're not intentionally saying, okay, Scott, uh, nah, 
we, we can't we can't look into this. They, they, they're not they have no reason to do that. They have every reason to accommodate you. And and that's where that's that's one of the things that I, I'd like to talk about a bit. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Everybody doesn't need full accessibility that meets all of the technical requirements of the software and, and the, the regulations and so on and so forth. Yeah. But everybody could use reasonable accessibility. Yes. I wear hearing aids and I use glasses. Okay. I don't, I don't need everything that is, I'm not deaf. I can hear, but mm -hmm. I have to have my hearing aids on. I can see, I have to have my glasses. Those are reasonable accommodations for me. Mm -hmm. Offices, businesses, buildings, shopping centers. Uh, there's this wonderful product that's that's been introduced in Europe uh, by this magnificent man, Gavin Neat, uh, which is called Welcome Me, where businesses uh, can use a software device that they would put on their website and disabled persons who want to shop, for example, at a Nordstrom's in their local town would go into that site and talk about their disability and what their needs are to come in and be a customer. Yes. And so the store then receives a, let's say it were you, Scott, you know, you, 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 you fill that out and now you're going to go birthday shopping for your wife. You let them know, and you are met at the door by somebody who has been trained properly to assist you through your experience until you find what you need, and you get to, regardless of what your regardless of what your your handicap might be, or your disability, I should say. Uh, you're obviously not handicapped if you're there. So yes. it, you know it, it it it's it's a matter of education. It's a matter of training. Um, and our greatest ambition is to try and use accessibility.com to bring the physical and the digital worlds together through understanding uh, what the needs are that need to be met and how they can find their way through that, that maze of resources and, and the correct information that would make them conversant and how to do that. So. so I have a question for you, John, regarding this. If we're talking about starting with education and things, boy, let me back it up a little bit. Does this education or providing direction have to start with our laws? Because it seems I've had a few different guests on that work, their business is about working with other businesses about how to comply with laws. And they're scared of breaking laws, which is the only freaking reason why they start and changing things. Where does it start? Where, what happened first? You know, uh, the chicken or the egg? It's the same thing. So what is it? Well, the, the, here in America, the ADA um, is, is there and it, and it forbids uh, discrimination against disabled. Uh, so if you don't have a wide enough toilet booth in your restaurant for somebody, you could be subject to uh, a lawsuit because somebody claim, you know, comes into your restaurant, they might be in a wheelchair or they, they, they don't have the ability to whatever. And unfortunately, and, and the, the, the number of cases, we track that every single year and the number of cases increase every single year uh, and what also goes goes up tremendously is the amount of demand letters uh, that businesses mm -hmm. receive because they've been found to be in violation and there there are literally hundreds of thousands of those demand letters that never get to court uh, but they are part of the the noise around uh, businesses and disabilities. And they're aimed at governments, they're aimed at small businesses, big businesses, commercial centers. Uh, and there's, um, yeah, 
in many cases, it's a very, very successful business because, uh, you know, you own a restaurant uh, along Route 95 and you may not be fully accessible to persons traveling across there. You also have a lawyer and <laughs> yeah. you get a demand letter and your lawyer is called and they say, yeah, you have to take this seriously. But if you uh, if you do that, then you're going to have to put an addition onto the restaurant. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that. Uh, I, my suggestion is that we try and settle. Mm -hmm. And sadly, there's way, way too much of that that goes on. And, and I mean, we look at the statistics on that and we find out that the uh, the number of the numbers of the uh, uh, cases that never get to court uh, seem to be centered by what is unfortunately known as ambulance chasers. Uh, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. people that, that create, they, they, they've stuck their nose into part of the economy that's there to be had, to be taken mm -hmm. advantage of. It's legal uh, mm -hmm. for people to complain. It's legal for people to respond with an offer to stop the complaint. There's no law against it. Uh, so, and in between, there's the negotiator. And the negotiator can sometimes be very clever people who see an opportunity and, and that's where that sits. So, um, it's, it's, it's not a, it, it's a solvable problem, but it's a, it's a systemic uh, issue that, you know, I mentioned before DEI, uh, DEI needs the letter A attached to it for accessibility. If the mentality of our society uh, accepts the fact that the intention of DEI is, is worthy and, and it's something that we need to honor, and, and there's a lot of hope for that uh, across our society across the world, um, then accessibility has to be uh, a function that gets woven into the solution as a permanent fix. It's not something you cancel because you say, oh, no, no, no. You mean we, we, we now have to make this accessible? No, we want to. We want to discriminate against people. No, they don't. You know, I mean, Delta Airlines just this last 30 days introduced a refashioned seat mm -hmm. in their in their planes where a wheelchair can be turned around and locked in to a ref refashioned seat so that that person doesn't have to surrender their mode of transportation to get on the plane after they get on and then wait for somebody to come and pick them up when they're when and those right. and, and there are horror stories that going around that right so that Delta airline reasonable accommodation needs to become a law of the, of the aviation industry right. worldwide. Right. Well, you just touched on something. I, I want to get into, I believe it's pronounced Andre Mussolini. Uh, episode 14 is the founder and inventor of Revolve Air. Right. Right. Now, folks, there's going to be a link to this and it's going to blow your minds on the Life's a Road Trip website. Yeah. And that was one of the, I want to see this thing collapses down so small. It's just amazing. But here's the problem. And I, and this is where money comes in, John. And it makes sense that he's running a business. These things are only available, it seems, for rent at some of the large airports. And I believe they're in just in Europe. I don't know if they've come over to the US, but they take up 60% less space. It's amazing how his product collapses down. There are other ones out there, and I, I went on Amazon and some places that are uh, ec um, uh, f collapsing, but they don't come nearly as close, and they're seventeen hundred bucks. Nothing. What Andrea uh, Andre did was just totally change an industry. But again, the money aspect. Mm. How is this going to come into play? But he's trying. To, you can rent these at some airports. Uh, he is he's a marvelous individual, uh, and he's he's his. I I 
I kid him about that. I say, you know, you're the guy that reinvented the wheel. Exactly. Which is exactly what he did. He reinvented the yes. wheel so that it becomes adaptable to to uh, providing a service to persons that can't that that need to be wheeled. Uh, it as far as the the money is concerned, and and as far as like uh, creativity and and uh, innovation in service to products that uh, support the disabled. Uh, the one thing that I would, you know, that, that the disabled understand is, is nothing about us without us. Uh, mm. And that's a saying that, like that. That, that exists across all of us in this community. Uh, if you wanted to build a product uh, from the ground up, that would resolve an issue, uh, of, uh, whether it be cognitive issues or physical issues, whatever they happen to be, or a com combination of those things. In the design, de development, and deployment include persons who can tell you as experts what to do and where it will fail and where it goes over a tripwire that will make it not work. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that in, intelligent approach to it uh, opens up employment. I mean, you know, I mean, there's so many examples uh, of, of practical products that you and I use every day. The remote TV uh, yes. was, a, was created by a solution uh, for persons who could not function by changing the channel on their TV, mm -hmm. okay? That, that was service to a disability that became a standard product in everybody's household and then changed in industry. There's others. You know, we could talk forever on that kind of thing. But it's really a function. You, you must respect the source of the problem before you can decide to educate yourself, before you can decide to participate in the process. And, and, and Andreas does. Uh, he, he, you know, he's not an, he, he wasn't naive in terms of the reality. What he was, was determined mm. that he was going to make a product that would provide a service that somehow would break the code of economics and get further down the road. Now there's, there's, there's other, you know, there's other products similar, not like to his, but but there's other breakthroughs that uh, are still barred from popular use and wide distribution because business primarily is not, hasn't opened the gates yet. They haven't opened the gates yet. Well, Diversity, that, that, yes. Inclusion, yes. yes. Now I'm going to jump to episode 13, but I think our, our server is going to bring over our second pint because I think that's where we are in our discussion. This is great, <laughs> man. So episode 13 by uh, Lori Samuels. She's accessibility director, NBC universal. She stated in, in the interview she had with you, we can't have people coming out to design and build the next generation of technology. Who've never heard about accessibility. This goes back to what we were talking about earlier yeah. about education. She went on to say, so, for a long-term solve, we've got to get our education systems, again, teaching about accessibility, teaching about inclusion, making sure the, that kids with disabilities can get all the way through higher education successfully, not facing the barriers that they face, way too many barriers today still in our education system. So it goes back to, again, what we were talking about. But going back to the, um, to the wheelchair and, and that address, um, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. When I was teaching, and sometimes it would come up in class, I would I would tweak that to say, uh, necessity and money are the parents of invention. So I think they do go hand in hand. You don't just always trip over a new idea on things, or you can come up with out of uh, necessity and happen. But it does a lot of times. Money does help, and I think going back with what Samuel said and Andreas and what he, what he accomplished. Laurie Samuels uh, deserves to be knighted for her. <laughs> uh, no, seriously, she does. She, she's one of the more passionate and intelligent 
persons uh, in the in the community. Uh, and uh, she also said something, and she resonated. It, it resonated with me, and it has become one of the cornerstones of accessibility.com. It's not about compliance. Hmm. Accessibility is not about compliance. It's about people. Uh, and and um, that's something that that um, really resonated because in the dis- in, in the discussion and the dissuasion of trying to move business from the factors that I talked about earlier, where you've got the, the global touchstones of the global economy are over a billion websites that are not fully accessible. Yeah. Now, there are regulations and there are laws and there's all kinds of good consciousness that should go on that says, here's what you have to do to become that, to become fully accessible. Here's what you can do to become reasonably accessible. Okay. All those things are correct. But, but Mr. Businessman, Mr. Profiteer, you must focus on the fact that this is about human needs and people. Uh, would you close your doors anymore in society to, uh, to persecuted Jews, to, to uh, segregated blacks? No, that, that, that's part of our history. It's gone. Yet you do it to, to persons with disabilities. If you said that to a reasonable person, Wow, <laughs> you know that that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna put a dent in their armor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it, it's the, the the people like Judy Human, the people like Caroline Casey, uh, Laurie Samuels, um, Meg O'Connell. Mike, pa- I mean, I could go on and name yeah. people for, for, for an hour, but, but, you know, they, these are the brethren of, of opportunity. Um, people who will open the door of accessibility, which doesn't take anything away from the businesses. It only brings things in. It only helps. It brings full employment. It brings, uh, you know, spending, expanded opportunity. You know, it just, it doesn't take all of those things away. It only helps you. So that's where it seems that the struggle tends to be um, on going there. Wow, this has been great. This is it. It didn't go where I thought it would go, and I, I'm grateful to that because I think we we're able to just sit at a pub and just chat and talk about some things. I, I wish there were a lot of people sitting here with us, but uh, we have come to the point in the show where. That sound means we're coming up to the road trip roundup. And it, John, it's going to be five questions I'm going to toss to you and just come with whatever may about regarding you and road trips. So when you're road tripping, do you tend to do fast food or local diners? Do I tend to do what? Fast food or local diners? Um, both. Yeah, depends on where you're going to and how much time you have. Yeah, pretty much. And, and my wife's Discretion or indiscretion, as the case may be. <laughs> gotcha. gotcha. All right, what's your dream car for a road trip, John? That could have been something you grew up with that your parents had or something you have now or something you'd like to have in the future, or maybe even rent if you were just going on a special road trip. Um, I would like to visit countries in the world like Italy and Ireland uh, in England that, uh, I would like to get in a car and just go really out of the cities and live with people. So something comfortable, uh, something that's easy to maneuver because when you're talking about Europe, you're talking about, you better have a a car on the smaller side compared to most in America. Sure. I'm not afraid to drive on European roads. I've done it, you know, uh, throughout my history. Yeah. What's the last cassette or CD that played while you were on a road trip? 
it was probably something by Elton John. Okay. Have you seen him live at all? Yes. Oh, he does a really good show. I saw him in oh, Vegas. Yeah. He's, he's a great show. I mean, just, yeah, that takes me back to. I, I think that when, you know, history looks back on this century, this time, that Elton John and guys like Billy Joel and Paul Simon hmm. will be the Mozarts and the Beethovens of, of history in our time. That's a great way to look at it. It is. Okay. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Okay. At, we're getting close to 80% our Coke lovers <laughs> on this show, man. I, don't, I, I, I wonder if anybody in Atlanta listens to this. I hope no one uh, in Pepsi headquarters us. All right. What's your favorite road trip memory? Go wherever you want to go on this, John. Favorite road trip memory. Uh, getting off of the uh, beaten path and driving through the Dingle Peninsula in Ireland mm. uh, and, and passing donkey carts and uh, seeing the last century, mm. uh, the way it, it really appeared. And the, and the scenery, I mean, the scenery in Ireland is, you know, every turn is another photo op, so you could spend forever. But in my memory, uh, that was one of the more significant things I've ever done. It seems that you're, a piece of your heart is in Europe and, and the Britain yeah. Peninsula. Yeah, I would say that's true. Well, we're going to wrap it up. I, I want us to stay on after we hit uh, stop, but I just want to say challenge likes everybody and keep listening to Life's a Road Trip. Thanks for listening. Check out previous episodes with new ones dropping each Tuesday. If you don't see a synopsis of this show where you're listening, visit our website at lifesaroadtrip.podbean.com for more information on this week's guest. This is your host, Scott Martin, reminding you that life's a road trip.